This is the Level Flight Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are back for a fourth episode of the Level Flight Podcast. I am joined by Elliot today. Hey. And unfortunately, we do not have Brian. It's just going to be me and Elliot today. He's down for the count with the cold, so... That that cold is really running ragged right now. It's it's, it's kicking for sure. It's looking like the Jets actual injury report. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Brian's on our LTIR. He's on our own, our personal one. So, uh, yeah, hopefully it's a short term thing. You know, he's not he, Brian's not practicing today, but hopefully he'll be back <laughs> soon. Um, all right. So it was a busy week for the Jets. Uh, three home games. They won two and lost one both wins came in very different fashions um and then the loss was very ugly but we'll start with the the first one thursday november 17th the jets beat the ducks 3-2 it was team Solani, tepo newman and night uh kyle connor scored a hat trick uh, what did you think about that one i thought it was a good game i mean we talked talked about it a while back about um just the guys trying to have a better game and i think they looked good throughout i don't it was better, obviously, we'll get to the Hurricanes game, but, I mean, what are you going to do when a team scores five goals in five minutes, or three goals in five minutes? But, I mean, like, it was a good game. It, Kyle Connor did, in fact, score in bunches as much yeah. as we wanted to say that he wasn't <laughs> going to, he did. And I and I thought they I thought the rest of the team outside of Kyle Connor played just fine. I thought they were good. It, it was another decent performance that you'd hope that they would come back with. Yeah, if I remember correctly, you and Brian were the ones that said he will score in bunches, and I was the one that said he wouldn't. So I guess I'll have to take the L for that one. But it was great. Uh, that top line with Gagne on it, again, looked really good. Um, Cal Connor, I mean, he's finally back. He's finally scoring. With all the injuries to forwards, and we'll get to Ehlers later, but he's really going to have to pick it up here over the next two months. So it's it's good to see him finally get into the rhythm and, and do stuff like that. I, I was concerned on... The Ducks are not good. No. They are easily a bottom three team in the NHL, and the Jets let them hang around for basically the whole game. Uh, that's really concerning to me, and it didn't help that they followed that performance up by losing to the Penguins 3-0. Yeah. Um, that was one of the ugliest games I have seen them play this year. They just didn't really generate much. There was no, like... There was no high danger, like really good chance where I was like, "Wow, Tristan Jari's standing on his head." You know, I just it 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 was just a nothing game for me. Yeah, I was gonna touch on that. I mean, I I have I have down here that there was no high quality scoring chances. There wasn't. There just, really wasn't yeah. anything. As much as Jari played well, I don't think if we had put a better a couple better chances on that that he would have really stopped them. I'm not high on Tristan Jari as a goaltender anyways, but I mean like what are you gonna do? I, I, I don't think that was a great game from the Jets, but we hadn't really seen them play one of those really bad no chances games yet this year. And it it was gonna come. It just it, we didn't know when. So And that started those two games there really started for me the concerns about the forward depth. Because it it had already come out that Ehlers is having surgery, and Kyle Connor scored a hat trick in the one game, but no one else scored. So for the hat trick to happen, and then for them to get shut out against the Penguins, I was really starting to get concerned. And then the Hurricanes game, it did kind of turn around. They won four three in overtime, 
Josh Morrissey scored two goals. Mikey Eismont's first career NHL goal. Uh, the huge collapse in the last five minutes. I mean, you can't really talk about this game without talking about that. They were great. The Jets were great for 55 minutes. I think we could agree on that. Yeah. Um, but th- what do you think happened? Like, obviously, it's an aggressive move to pull the goalie with five and a half minutes left by the Canes, but you just can't give up three. Like, that's just unacceptable. Oh, you can't. You you just – they looked good for 55, and the most important five minutes of the game – they looked terrible, but you can't really do anything about it. I mean, a lot. What was it? All, was it two of them or all three of their goals were all screen? It was all three. Yeah, all yeah. three of them were screen goals. There, you you can't really do anything about that. That other than trying to battle in front of the net and give Connor Hellebuck a clear sight, as much as any goalie becomes a mediocre goaltender. I don't care who you are, if we're talking prime Martin Brodeur, prime Patrick <laughs> Waugh, I don't care. If if there is somebody in front of the goalie screening, and multiple bodies were, especially for the Canes, they had at least two guys sitting in front. If you don't clear the bodies, any goaltender becomes mediocre, and it becomes a chance game. Which, unfortunately, in this situation, the Jets lost on chance. And a lot of times, you don't lose on those chances. But... There's not much you can do. They at least save the two points. I think if they come away with one or somehow the Canes score again before the end of regulation, <laughs> I think this is good. completely different. But they save the two points, and I think they and I think they know, and I know bonus will get to them on it and will be, hey, that was really bad. That cannot happen, especially in a playoff game because teams like the Hurricanes – and we'll capitalize on that again, and it's just going to look even worse. Well, speaking of bonus, one thing that really concerned me in this game was for the last five minutes when the epic collapse happened, he only played two lines, two forward lines. It was the Shifley line with Lowry moved up, and then the second line, and it was just that for constantly for five minutes straight. And, I mean, I get it, kind of, like... Your your bottom six is very defensively responsible, so I don't really get the the urge to put Shifley, Connor, Wheeler out there, guys like that. When you could be putting out Mainline and Gustafson, players that have are on this team right now because they're there to play defense from from forward. But that I think was probably the biggest reason that that collapse happened. Is okay, they score one, that's fine. The same players are coming over the boards for five minutes straight. They're gonna get tired. I don't know. For the first 55 minutes, though, it looked like the Penguins game, but reversed. It looked like the Jets were doing what the the Penguins did to them, to the Hurricanes, in the sense that the Hurricanes had no really good chances. Like, David Riddick was, yeah, he was making saves here and there, but he wasn't, like, making cross-crease, cross glove, like, ridiculous saves. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I really liked the first 55 minutes. I, I think the biggest reason for that collapse was running the top six and then in overtime i mean josh morrissey he is he is uh playing very very well we will get into the norris talk here in a second but the overtime strategy we've talked about it a few times on this pod about how they start with lowry and appleton just to win the face-off quote-unquote in this game they started with shifley connor and morrissey which i like to see that but why what has changed because the Jets have relatively been good in overtime, no matter what we want to say with Lowry and Appleton starting their record in overtime has actually been pretty good. Yeah. So I'm not saying they should go back to it. I like the fact that they started with Shifley and Connor, but 
Is it Appleton's injury that made him change his mind? I don't really get that at all. But I, I like the change. I was gonna I was gonna say something about that. I was just gonna say like it it may be Appleton. It it honestly could be the Appleton injury that has forced Bonus to go, Well, ugh, all right, I guess I have to play some offense here. Yeah. And and I just don't get it. I mean it's just it boggles my mind sometimes when coaches do that you have a player on your team specific for something and then you don't use them and we'll probably get to it later when we talk about a specific player that got called up but <laughs> wonder I, who that could be <laughs> I, I, I don't know <laughs> but you know i it just it bothers me that we're doing this now when it shouldn't have even been in the first place and then even in the case of like Lowry Okay, bonus in this in this game actually did something good where he moved Lowry up to the top six when we need to get a we need, when we need to get some stops and some and basically play some defense. But then yeah, he didn't use the bottom six. And then in overtime, yeah, he went. You know what? Nope, we don't have Appleton anymore. We're changing the strategy. Like, yeah. great, but what? Why? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. And then the whole thing was Lowry was out there to win the draw, right? So if that was your reasoning before. You, there's still a face-off to be won. It's not like they're just going NHL one, two, three, bang. Like there's still a face-off to be won. So I don't know what the point of that was, but I do like that change. It, it, I'm making it sound like it's a bad thing, but I do like them starting with Shifley, Connor, Morrissey. Speaking of Morrissey, overtime ends off of his stick. Uh, two goals in this game. He's I believe tied for sixth in the NHL in defenseman scoring with 18 points. He's got three goals and 15 assists in 17 games. He remains the Jets' leading scorer. We referenced that a few pods ago. I can't believe we're still here. But he's been getting some Norris talk. What What do you think of that? I, I think he... I think this year he's deserved it. And I think he's finally deserving of his contract. I, I thought that he was a decent defenseman. Maybe good on some nights in that original decor from the from the original cup runs I thought he was good but I I didn't I still didn't know if that contract was deserving if he plays at this level then I think that contract is deserving but I I, I want to see if he can keep this level of play because we've seen him play at this level before where he contributes a lot but then it turns into him on a pointless streak and then he's not very good defensively so it, he looks like he looks like he should be on the bottom pair and he should be getting scratched. But you can't because he's considered this team's franchise defenseman. And this is what a franchise offensive defenseman is supposed to do. So if he can keep this up, then I think that he... Then I, I, you won't hear a peep from me about any complaints from him. But I, I think the Norris talk is a little bit premature. But we will see. If he continues this on, then maybe we start talking about real chances out of Norris. But... Right now, I think we're a little bit early on anything, just because it's so early in the year. Yeah, I I believe he's on pace for mid-80s in terms of points. I don't think that's enough, just because I think Kale McCarr and Adam Fox maybe are going to hit 90, maybe even close to 100. Um, if the Jets make the playoffs and he's shouldering these big minutes and he still puts up, let's say, 88 points, then yeah, I'd like to talk about it then, but I still think it's a little early. Um, it's really hard for me to shake the underlying numbers and like Pionk and Morrissey are outscoring their opponents at five on five, eleven to nine, but they're still getting outshot 
outchanced. And it's just, it's hard for me to look past that and say, wow, Morrissey's having such a great year. I know he has 18 points, and I'm not going to complain about that. Like you said, this is what franchise offensive defensemen are supposed to do. He's supposed to put up big points, be on the first power play, be great in overtime like he was against the Hurricanes. But it's really hard for me to look past that. Um, he's definitely, if if the season ended right now, which would be a little premature, but he's definitely in the top 10 for Norris voting, I'd say. But there's still, I think, four or five guys that I'd comfortably take over him. Um, and at this point, pace it doesn't look like anyone's catching eric carlson who has 29 points so um but he's doing great he's doing exactly what he's being asked i really hope that pionk and morrissey's possession numbers can pick up a little bit and then i can have a little bit more faith in this sustaining but for right now the points are great the power play uh points the overtime that's all great i just i i can't look past the five on five stuff and I mean, when you think about it, too, what you like you just said, the five on five stuff, the Norris Trophy is for whoever is the best defenseman in the league. It doesn't just mean you put up a ton of points. It doesn't mean you have the best defensive goals again, the XG or anything. Yeah. <laughs> it has to do with being the best defenseman in the league complete. Right. It's it's the defensive MVP. So. Yes, you can probably put in a Kale McCarr or Adam Fox because, I mean, Adam Adam Fox, correct me if I'm wrong, is more of a two-way defenseman that can put up points, and Kale McCarr's a little bit more veered offensively. Yeah, I mean, Kale McCarr's probably more, like, Kale McCarr's just on another level. Yeah, yeah, but... but but what I'm trying to get at is Josh Morrissey has it is and has been a offensive defenseman, and I get that Eric Carlson's probably re- leading the race because he has 29 points. But we've also but we've also seen Eric Carlson not be very good defensively. And I to be honest, I actually kind of see Josh Morrissey and Eric Carlson in the same similar mold. If they're not producing offensively, they are not a very good def- they, they're not a very good player because they don't have a, a other side of their game. So I mean, and if Eric Carlson ends up winning the Norris, then I guess that means that Josh Morrissey has the yeah. possibility of winning the Norris under what I have to say, but I just think that, yeah, his defensive game, if it can be better five on five and show improvement, then maybe, yeah, maybe he does creep into the top five. Maybe he doesn't win it, but at least the league is on notice that he is get he is still getting better, but he's in his prime already now. I don't know how much better he's going to get in terms of trying to refine his game. Yeah, I, I agree with you on those points in terms of this year. I think when he was younger and he was on that 2017-18 team and he was playing with Truba, um, he was asked to be more of a defensive defenseman and just limit himself to... He was kind of a second-pairing, third-pairing, defensive defenseman specialist, kill penalties, etc. And then the Canadian division happened where he's all of a sudden playing 25 minutes a night against McDavid, Matthews, all those good players, and he he hadn't played top-line minutes before, and then he struggled like crazy, right? So... There was that one time there where he was sheltered, defensive defenseman. Then he got thrown to the Wolves and played 25 minutes a night against the most talented forward groups in the league. And now we're finally starting to see his offensive game be refined. Um, I think the defensive game has always been there, and it got a bad rap because of that Canadian division and how he kind of got killed. Um, He was playing with Tucker Pullman the whole year. I, I don't really pin that on him, but the 
the offensive game is is finally coming along and it's really nice to see because he's had the defensive game before it took a hit it's kind of coming back but the offensive game is something completely new that we're just now seeing this year um and i really like that from him speaking of offensive defensemen well uh logan stanley is still out uh with a foot fracture Vili Hanala was called up. He sat a few games uh, for Kyle Capobianco, and now he played against the Hurricanes. He's set to take um, take the ice again tonight against the Minnesota Wild. But how do we think he did in his first game against the Hurricanes? I thought he did all right. I mean, it, there was nothing flashy. It was a yeah. just a solid, yeah. decent performance. And I think that's really... Honestly, what this defensive core needs is just a bunch of guys who are just going to play, yes, have good nights where they're going to contribute significantly, but you just don't want guys that are going to consistently make negative plays. You want guys that are going to stay steady, have a little bit of upside, especially in your bottom bottom pair or wherever you want to put anybody else. I mean, we know what we're probably going to get from the top pair eventually and that sort of thing, but... Yeah, if he can just play a not non not too flashy, decent game all the time, with, and I will will say it again. Please put him on the power play. Um, <laughs> yeah, like if he can produce a little bit on the power play as well, because you know what, I don't really want to hear more. Capo Bianco isn't doing anything. If everyone needs to be able to do something, put Villy on the power play. I mean, if you don't, and but he's in the lineup, that's fine with me too, because he'll probably still create some offensive chances but yeah I think he I think overall just in that that game against the Canes I think he was I think he was just fine yeah I agree um there wasn't really anything that stood out like wow he was so great at this or he was so bad at this it was it was a really steady game like you said I didn't really have any sweeping takeaways after the game I wasn't like wow Villahena looked blank I was just like well he he looked like Villahena like he he looked fine he didn't make any big mistakes no big plays either. He didn't kill penalties, and it didn't matter because, like, th- this has been a thing for now three months that Villy's not in the lineup because he doesn't kill penalties. Well, the Jets did it. They made it through a game with Villy Hanala in their lineup without him killing penalties. Like, who would have thought it would have been possible? I guess, like, that was, a like, complete BS from the start, I guess. Um, him and Samberg on the same pairing I really liked. They played together with the Moose last year. I coincidentally thought it was Sandberg's best game of the year. I don't know if Hanela had anything to do with that, but I honestly thought Sandberg looked is 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 getting much better as the season's going on, and that was one of his best games. But yeah, it's a, that's a great third pairing. Um, you you have the the vets shoulder the tough top four minutes, and then you shelter the young guys and play them in high leverage spots where they're going to be good. Now the high leverage spot for Hanela would be on the power play, like you said. Yeah, I would like. He, I'm not asking for him to be on the first power play in place of Josh Morrissey. I'm asking for him to maybe rotate in with Nate Schmidt on the second power play or something like that. Just that's what he's good at. That's his that's his MO is he's a patient, amazing passer. And with the Moose this year, he's done great on the power play. So I'd like to see them give him a look there. Um, I'm not going to complain with him being in the lineup because it's been far too long. Um, I, I'm interested to see how long this run goes. Uh, it seems as though he's earned another game tonight, like I said, but when Stanley comes back, are they going to keep rolling Hanela and Sandberg? I don't know. I hope so, but 
Um, we'll see. But I really liked how he played. I, I think that when you mentioned Sandberg having a better game, I think it actually does come down to just familiarity with yeah, defensemen. True. And just as your pair as your pair, just because I, I've been in situations um playing sports or whatever or anything like at different levels. Like I've played college basketball and, you know, I've played high level high school and other levels. And when you play with other people that you know, it feels so much better. I like I won a league championship with a bunch of people um playing club basketball we weren't the honestly we were not the best talented team but because we had familiarity with one another we knew where we need to be and it was easy to communicate with one another so i'm sure that's what happened was sandberg was trying to figure out okay how do i communicate with guys like stanley at times and then with capo bianco and uh, like uh, the other guys he's had to pair with because he's never played with some of them before. As soon as he probably was with Hanley, he went, oh, you know what? This is somebody I know. We know how to communicate. We know how each other play, and we can just go out and play hockey. There's definitely something to that because during the game on Twitter, I saw a bunch of people reference how they kept flipping sides, Hanley and Sandberg, whether that be defending the rush, zone exits, or just like lining up on different sides on the offensive zone or whatever. They did that all the time with the Moose. They know when to flip. they're comfortable with one another. That's that's 100% uh, a thing for those two. And I'm hoping Bonus sees that and realizes, yeah. hey, this is big. Because yeah. I, I think as much as that pairing will be fine, it'll be rough sometimes because they're young. They're going to make some mistakes, but that's why you try to protect them. That's why you shelter them. Yeah. yeah. And, and you put them in, like you said, high leverage spots, spots for them to succeed so that they gain some confidence. But I think this is like... In college basketball, when you bring in a freshman that may be a little raw and you need you want to grow that player because you know in the end the higher upside is playing the young guy rather than playing the senior. So in this case, you think of let's say Billy Hanala as the freshman. You can even say like Logan Stanley's the junior or whatever, and Capo Bianco's the senior. Well, I want to go with the freshman because he's got the higher upside than especially the senior the junior maybe has a little bit more to show but mm -hmm. the senior's just there as a stopgap in case the freshman and the junior can't go yeah yeah it's definitely that third pairing sheltering them is definitely a place for them to grow i really hope they roll with it because it looked good and the hurricanes are a really good forechecking team and they handled it really well so i don't know let's see, let's let's see a few more games that's all i want to see he better get more games yeah. I, I i mentioned in one of the first episodes that he should get a 10 game gap like a 10 game run here in a row and he already started off with one good game so i'm hoping if this continues then hopefully we'll see him more yeah um to switch gears to the forwards now nikolai ehlers underwent surgery on Sports hernia surgery is out 6 to 12 weeks. That's the standard recovery time for that kind of surgery. A lot of people out there are saying 6 weeks, but I would not be shocked if it's closer to 8 or 10, uh, maybe even 12. Ehlers is a guy that relies on his speed so much, they're not going to rush him back from a lower body injury, um, especially when they held out this long and are waiting or waiting. They're just going to, whenever he's ready to go, they are going to wait. But... What are your take like what are your takeaways from this because there are that's almost 2 months, 3 months. He's not going to be back. Uh the Ford group is already thin. Um 
do you think they can handle without him for that period of time? I think they can handle for a little bit, but uh, what I would say is more than ever, this is a time where I think that management and Sheveldayoff need to look at who they A, have the in the system. Are they confident with who's there? And if not, you make a trade. And I don't want to hear this, oh, we need to find the best deal, blah, 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 nonsense. No, you're without Appleton. You're without Ehlers. You need to find somebody and a proven NHLer. I don't want to be... I mean, I'm fine with specific guys getting call-ups or playing well and that sort of thing, but it it stops at a point because you start running out of guys that you could potentially call up or guys are, oh, well, they're playing good in the AHL and they're playing good well for the Moose, but they're just not there yet at the NHL level. So I, you need to either trade for or make some sort of a waiver pickup at some point in terms of somebody that's an NHLer. They did it with Janssen Fialbi, and he's now in the lineup. Yeah. He was supposed to be a healthy scratch, extra forward, and now he's in the lineup. Not because of injuries, just because he plays well. But that also makes them more thin because they can't bring him in because they were already thinking of having him in the lineup, basically. Yeah. So you really need to think about trading a second or a third or one of your younger prospects mm-hmm. for a forward. Speaking of those younger prospects, Brad Lambert and Chaz Lucis on the on the Manitoba Moose. I I've seen a few people float that idea out there, and I think they've already well they have. I don't think this they have already been without Ehlers for a month now. They I think they would have called one of those two guys up by now. Uh, Brad Lambert I think is the only one you can really consider. Chaz Lucius I think he's been doing good with the Moose. I think he could use the full year to develop there. Brad Lambert, maybe, because of the preseason that we saw from him. He was great in the preseason. I don't know if that will translate, but that's what the eight games is for. You know, you can call him up for eight games, see if he fits. If he does, great. You keep him more forward depth. If not, send him back down. No harm, no foul, right? I don't think they should look at that. I think I agree with you. They should definitely look at a trade more than an internal call-up, just because those guys... I really think it benefit from a year in the AHL. Which players are you most looking at to step up in terms of if if they didn't call up Lambert or Lucius and they didn't make a trade and they just sat on his hands like Sheveldayoff always does, who would you think like is more most in a position to take that next step? I think it's Mikey Asimont. Really? I wow. but you but you look at who we have in the roster. Like, I'm not looking at Jensen Harkins to produce, right? Hey, he's doing good with the moose, or he was. I, But <laughs> realistically, I look at – I mean, there, there will be production that needs to step up from everybody in the lineup. But I think the one player that we'll, we will see that is theoretically, quote-unquote, replacing Ehlers or replacing someone who's replacing Ehlers at this point would be Acemont. Mm, I think he okay. he 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 works hard. I hate I hate using that whole he's a hard worker blah blah. But <laughs> he 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 just plays hard. And when you play hard, and we've seen it with a bunch of other Jets players before, they produce because they just get greasy goals. And Acemont finally got his first of his career the other night and 
I'm not saying this is going to open the floodgates and he's going to have a 20-goal season. But, <laughs> but even if he just puts up, like, 10 points, yeah. and it, and it, but, it, but it all comes in crucial spots, huge. Yeah, I, I think he is best suited on a fourth-line kind of shut-down role. But the more I think about it, Gagne is not really on the top line to, quote, replace Ehlers. He's just kind of there to make some smart plays, set Kyle Connor up like he did for the hat trick winner. But if Icymont took over that role, he would play more of a four-checking, complementary. Like, obviously, no one's going to replace Ehlers. He's arguably the best forward on the team. But what you're looking is for someone to provide pieces of what he can do. Like, Gagne can provide the the smarts, the passing, the the setup. He's not really, like, he's obviously much slower than Ehlers, but He's, he's not going to slow the line down because he can put them in good enough spots. Icymont would be the type to really give that line speed and have him forecheck and work his work hard, like you said, um, and really set up, like open up space for Shifley and Connor to do what they do. Um, yeah, is there anything, do you have anything else on that topic? Or I mean, the best way to, the best um, analogy that I can give is Moneyball. Really? Well, because you're looking right, because you're looking to replace a couple. Yeah. Well, you're looking to replace players, and you're not going to be able to replace. In this case, obviously, in the in the movie, obviously they show you that there's like three or four, like they've got to replace a couple position players and a pitcher and a reliever. He gets on base. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But but in this situation, you are just looking for guys that fill the needs of one singular player because you can't just. The Jets aren't going to obviously just go and trade for, I don't know, Patrick Kane, and he's just going to yeah. automatically replace everything that Ehlers does and anything. But you at least need to find players that are going to, like you said, fill in the pieces yeah, and fill in what is missing for the time being because it's going to be a while. Yeah. So what you're saying is they should go, how do we replace 30 goals – 40 assists and 70 points. We need we need three different players all on different contracts. If we're going Moneyball, we're going Moneyball. Let's do yeah. it. I mean, it, I you might could. Give you five assists and maybe two goals. And that's – you got to find somewhere else. There you go. Yeah. And maybe it is Gagne because <laughs> maybe it is. We, we've, we've been seeing Gagne produce and we've been expecting him to produce. And you know what? Maybe it, maybe it is Gagne, but – We'll have to see. It, I, I am intrigued to see how this all plays out without Ehlers because the last time we were without Ehlers, it didn't go that well. Yeah. And he came back and he was great, but we didn't rush him. We didn't force anything. And then he came back and it was, I mean, while he was gone, it was quite the quite the problem. Yeah. Uh, they've weathered the storm so far without him. I think they could could, could run into problems. Uh, the defense scoring is definitely a big boost and a big help to replacing that. But we're now going to move off of the Jets' talk, and we're going to move into the rest of the NHL. Now, this episode will be coming out tomorrow morning. That's U.S. Thanksgiving. That's usually a time where people look around the league and they know what every team is, uh, how good teams are, in, ca- in terms of the Jets, uh, they were good at U.S. Thanksgiving last year and then completely fell off a cliff. So this isn't the be-all, end-all, but it is a good starting point for for future predictions, playoff predictions, stuff like that. So we're just going to go around the league and give our thoughts on some teams that 
at U.S. Thanksgiving are not in a spot that you might have thought to start the year. Um, <laughs> we have to start with the New Jersey Devils. Yeah. I mean, what are they, 16-3, and three, second best team in the NHL? Yeah. What are your thoughts? I mean, we talked about it in one of the earlier episodes about, I think it was either, yeah, I think it was the first episode. I think it was the very first one, yeah. We talked about, are they going to stay the same or are they going to drop? And I'm pretty sure we all said, oh, yeah, they're going to f- not fall off a cliff, but they're going to come down by now, but they haven't. They've won- they're have they 10-0 and 0 in their last 10. Yeah, which yeah. <laughs> is unbelievable. I mean, hey, hats off to New Jersey. They've been bad, and you know what? And they're a young team. They're going to continue mm-hmm. to continue to get better. So hats off to, hats off to the Devils. And, hey, you know what? They're going to be a formidable team to play against come playoff time if this continues. Well, I said this on the first episode that you referenced there, but they have this defense core right now that's playing at a high level. Just wait until they add Luke Hughes and Simon Nemec, what, two years from now? Luke Hughes probably next year. Simon Nemec two, three years from now. Man, they are going to be insane for years to come. Uh, The Florida Panthers, they are currently outside of a playoff spot. Uh, our old buddy Paul Maurice is is doing his thing over there. Um, what what do you make of the Panthers' slow start, slow-ish start? I mean, they're struggling with Maurice as a Jets fan. Are we that surprised? No, not at all. I don't think he knows how to <laughs> deal with all that offensive talent and that that <laughs> amount of roster. Much. It's too much. But but the Jets brought him in initially because they didn't really have much in terms of a roster, and he made something out of it. Mm-hmm. He he's that coach. He's that coach that you bring in when you know that hey we don't really have much can you make something out of it and he goes i'll figure something out and he gets you either to a playoff spot or close to a playoff spot with a not very good team but he's not the coach that you go hey you've this is all the firepower you have figure this out he doesn't know how to do that he knows how to make something out of nothing he doesn't know how to make something with a lot of it yeah i will i will say their defense core was decimated for the last month with Ekblad being out, it is, still is pretty bad. But with all that offensive firepower, Matthew Kachuk added to it. I, don't, I, I, I can't see – I don't know if they do end up maybe squeaking into the playoffs, but they're nowhere near the President's Trophy level they were at a year ago. Um, another team in the East that is 7-10-3, the Washington Capitals. Now, they have been hurt like more than any team in the NHL. Um, what do you make of their soul start? And do they have a chance at the playoffs if people start getting healthy, or do you think they're they're done? Well, nobody's done. I, I mean, there are some teams that are right, done already, right, yeah. but you have one of the best players in, on, in the league in Alexander Ovechkin, of course. You've got Kuznetsov. I mean, you you can find the way into the, to the playoffs, but my thing is I think their time in the Metro dominating is over. I think them and the Penguins are going to see eventually going to see a mm, quite yeah. a hard fall off and I think we're going to see other teams start to dominate the Metro. But I think maybe they make it back into the playoffs. There's obviously still it's still it's US Thanksgiving. It, there's tons of time. Right. But I think that yeah, it's it's looking a little bleak for them to finish in one of the top two spots in the Metro again. Yeah, so Backstrom has been out to to start the year. Tom Wilson, TJ Oshie, Dmitry Orlov, Connor Brown, Carl Hagelin, all on injured reserve or long-term injured reserve. They are very, very hurt, and I don't think I don't think they'll be able to come back to it. I think they end up missing the playoffs. 
the Vegas Golden Knights, the number one team in the West, uh, 15, four and one. We, we talked about them a bit a few weeks ago, but what do you make of their hot start? It's Vegas. That's kind of what it's become. It's just <laughs> yeah. that they, they are the expansion team that just, you, you saw, you see it as, and we'll talk about the other expansion team in a little bit here, but you see the two spectrums. One expansion team was good off the bat and is still good. The other one still is getting is better this year, but still trying to get off the ground. I mean, they're a good team. They've done very well in acquiring acquiring players and creating a really good roster. So they're they're going to be a good team, and the, yeah. there's nothing you can really do about it. I will say their their plan of being aggressive and paying forty million dollars to four different players is going about as like. Again, Toronto always makes it to the playoffs, and then they lose in the first round. I want to see it from Vegas, kind of like, like yeah, right now they're projected to play St. Louis in the first round. I think they would beat St. Louis in a playoff series. But, I mean, Jack Eichel's on a tear, 24 points in 20 games. He's officially back to his old self. I just, they're so top-heavy that it scares me. Like, yeah, right now they can blow out teams uh, that are going to miss the playoffs eventually. Yeah, they have impressive wins. I'm not disputing that, but they're so, so top-heavy. And last year, it was injury after injury. They didn't have the depth to back it up, and they missed the playoffs. If they sustain one injury this year, do they fall off a bit? Does L.A. catch them kind of thing? You know, I, I'm really intrigued by them. I'm hesitant to say that they can keep it up because there's. it seems like the margin for error for them is so much slimmer than other teams. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, the Dallas Stars. Now, if you didn't think Jake Ottinger was going to be a Vesna caliber goaltender, then this surprises you. Uh, 11-5-3, and three, 25 points, top of the Central Division. Colorado and Winnipeg both two points back with two games in hand. But that's still a pretty good start from Dallas. I didn't even expect them to make the playoffs to start the year, but I underestimated Jake Ottinger, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they're good. I, th- I think they'll be a good team. I think they... They may drop off a little bit. Obviously, Colorado will get their swing, and they'll probably. I still think Colorado finishes at the top of the Central, mm. but Dallas and us will probably be fighting for that second spot. I think as well as of right now, unless we fall off a cliff again. But I mean, I think that they're 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 a good team. That's that's really all I have to say. They're a good team. They're gonna be they're gonna be a playoff team again. I I don't dispute that. The way that they're playing is sustainable enough. I think that they should get there and obviously they're going to get some wins stolen for them by Jake Ottinger. Yeah. I, I think they're more of a three seed slash wild card, but um, I wouldn't really go as far as to say they're going to be the top team in the central like they are. Yeah. Now the Seattle Kraken um, third in the Pacific 10, five and three. I I'm curious to see what you say about whether or not they can keep it up because last year they, they went into the season with kind of the same thing where it's they're they're a deep forward team but they can't really you know they don't have the high end talent like Vegas does to push them over the top what do you think in terms of can they be a playoff team do they have it what are your thoughts i think it's the uh as brian will say would say um i'll give him a little shout out it's the martin jones effect oh yeah i i think i think obviously goaltending and better goaltending helps them and you know what? I think they're just going to be. I think they're going to be an okay team. I think they may be squeaking to the playoffs, but I think that they will just miss out this year. And 
Shane Wright's scoring and doing that sort of thing and in the AHL, I mean, but because <laughs> it's not like he's getting ice time at the NHL. No, level. no. but you know, <laughs> I I think that they will continue to get better, and I think they'll be a better team next year, and maybe a playoff team this year, but for sure a playoff team next year. It's a good, it's a good step forward for them. Yeah, I I still think they make it. Uh, I do think Calgary and Edmonton will pass them, which would push Seattle to more of a a one two seed wild card situation. Uh, I can't like say that they're better than calgary right now uh even though calgary has had a slow-ish start i that roster has too much talent to me to uh to not be there and then edmonton i mean it's mcdavid and dry saddle i can't i can't take seattle's depth forwards over those two yeah um especially in a playoff series if that were to happen but yeah um are there any other teams that are surprising you um not really i mean the sends maybe and I know you write about them, but yeah, they've just been disappointing. But I mean, it's the sense. Are we really that surprised? <laughs> yeah, it, it's the as and you probably have a lot to say about that. But yeah, it, they're they're disappointing, but it is what it is. They still also have a younger team. They'll get better. I'm not too concerned. Yeah, I it's really hard for me to wrap my head around because they're still fringe top 10 in Corsi percentage, expected goals, all of the possession numbers that you would look at to see if a team is good or not. They're fringe top 10 in those, and they're the worst team in the NHL, or like bottom three points-wise, which makes no sense to me. It's not like, well, their goaltending has kind of let them down recently, but it's not like uh, a Seattle last year situation where Philip Grubauer is just losing them game after game after game. It's just every game is the same. They go they go down 4-2, they pull the goalie, they score one, and then they give one up and they lose 5-3. It's, it's the same. They just can't sustain a lead they can't get out in front and hold it uh but the process is there i don't i don't know what it is but maybe firing the uh dj smith is on the table soon you might have to consider that even though the process is there just to kind of send the players a wake-up call kind of thing but they're in danger of well i i don't even know if they have a chance to make the playoffs anymore 6 11 and 13 last in the east that's (laughs) quite the hole to dig yourself out of yeah and i don't know if they have the talent to do it but it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back like if you look at their at their season in 10 game spurts how they get better as the season goes on if they do yeah um but yeah that is the show we ended off with seattle and ottawa brian would have loved to be here for that but (laughs) um that was for you brian yeah that was all for brian He'll, he'll chime in on twitter go follow him um yeah that was a great show just me and you um, talked Hanala Ehlers. Thank you guys for listening. Um, we will be back next week, and hopefully Brian will as well. Yeah, Jets game tonight in yeah. Minnesota. We'll see how that goes. You'll probably hear from us on Twitter about it. Um, obviously, this is coming out the following day, so hopefully we haven't lost our minds because hopefully we'll have beaten the Wild. Yeah. Uh, just to further that, the Jets have a big road trip coming up in terms of the fact that they play the Wild, the Stars, and the Blackhawks. So three Central Division teams, and then they come back home and play the Avs. Uh, the Stars and the Avs game are going to be huge tonight. I'm really interested to see, of course, how Hainala looks again, stuff like that. But four Central Division opponents in a row. We will be back next week. Maybe we'll record Wednesday next week so we get that Colorado game in as well. Uh, So it might be a big episode next week with four games to cover and Brian back. But uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Go Jets. Go Jets.
You've been listening to the Level Flight Podcast.